the inland whitewater features are amazing. Charlotte, now Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, there's another park being built in Tulsa. Of course, the, the River Sports Rapids in Oklahoma City. Whitewater parks inland. But most importantly, I'd like to talk to you about whitewater parks in the south uh. where you can include people of color, indigenous populations. Whitewater is a whitewash sport. So I think in having these big industrial whitewater centers in the South, where we have a lot of diversity, has a lot of potential for the future. What are your thoughts on that? I was raised by a single mom as an only child in Nevada. And I, re I remember as a kid cutting out magazine articles and, and photos of dudes. Typically, there were single guys who were traveling around the world in pickup trucks and pickup uh, truck campers with surfing. I wasn't a surfboarder. I didn't have any aspirations of traveling internationally to go find surf. Like I didn't know what that was about, but there was something truly mystical about what these people were doing that uh, I was intrigued by it. And yeah, I've, I've ended up doing something similar, just chasing whatever, uh, often in the road, on the road. Paul, the, the first things I thought when I was a kid that I wanted to be mm -hmm. was a was ski patrol. Sure. And because being in Oklahoma, you go ski trips up in Colorado and New Mexico, and then being a professional soccer player. And I was right involved with soccer as it was starting to, to move forward and was playing with the same team. And, um, and then kind of <clears throat> everything really is a too far away of all the things you end up doing. It might be just a click to the left or the right, but it's kind of our natural um, sense of where we fit. It is. And I think that that sense of being a wanderer in search of something is a romantic uh, persona that... I don't know. I've I've in, embraced the idea of um, American romanticism with Emerson and Thoreau. I was really intrigued by that as, at an early age too. So my my family calls me a Rolling Stone. Can't keep the <laughs> the moss on one side for too long. I think that's a that's a very good person to be on the planet. <laughs> the Rolling Stone that you you're living life because you're you're inspiring people by the sheer nature of being yourself. Absolutely. But it requires an understanding of yourself. And now that I'm in a, a more long-term uh, committed relationship here in Asheville, North Carolina, I've moved from the, the West Coast to the Southeast of the Appalachia because of a woman and uh, the kindness that she has. But it's in the dialogues that we've had and the experiences that we've had over the last couple of years, I've learned about uh, attachment theory in relationships. And I've learned about what it is to uh, be in a committed relationship. So it's been, even though I was married for 16 years, got divorced in 2017, it's been fun at 50 years old to, to learn and really embrace what relationship styles are. I've learned a lot about myself in maintaining, keeping no moss on that rolling stone, but also being more available <laughs> to people in a lot of different ways. And that's really what my podcast and, and my content is becoming now is a way for reaching out to people and, and documenting stories of other people's and other journeys. So thank you so much for being a part of this, Brent. When I met you a few years ago, 
you gave me the VIP tour <laughs> of, of the river sports in Oklahoma City, uh, from the the Olympic rowing training areas to the whitewater courses to the the vertical whitewater areas, and more than that, you spent a lot of time with me talking about your vision, your enthusiasm uh, for sustainability for indigenous cultures in Oklahoma. You were coming back to Oklahoma after living in Southern California, and I, I thought it was really amazing. And I knew I wanted to talk to you, and so thank you so much for continuing the dialogue. And I look forward to hearing what you have to say about whitewater parks, uh, especially in the South, about indigenous populations and your heritage, as well as your new foray in sustainability. So without further ado, Brent, uh, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hey, Paul. This is, uh, this is really just kind of the synergy that rolls forward by meeting people. And, you know, when when we meet other people that are the same. We kind of all carry ourselves the same of uh, being just authentic. Uh, we really are living and being ourselves and growing um, perpetually. I could tell in short order, um, that's who you were. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, it's necessary to stop and spend time with people and really talk and learn from one another and, and pick up on things that... Uh, you can't get any other way and you know, the humanness of it all. And we just live and work in such a, a beautiful culture of being able to be in the great outdoors and thrive and, and really make things move them to the next level of what people see as possible. And so just like you said, you know, we were, I, I was brought out to Carmel by the Sea California working in the triathlon industry from mm -hmm. Charlotte, North Carolina. So when you said you're in Asheville, it's like uh, living in Charlotte for 11 years and just understanding the beauty and uh, uh, the outdoor culture in the Carolinas and the Blue um, Ridge Mountains and being so close to the ocean and just having all that there. So you're in a magical, awesome place in the planet and uh, i agree <laughs> there's uh um and i can visualize it and see it and so it's kind of strange i knew you know most people it's like that are ocean people they really can't imagine not having that because it's such a part of their life of me being in carmel where we're five minutes we were five minutes from the water i had all of my tribe of friends that were in all parts of the industry that, you know, you surf with, you paddle with, you free dive with, you, you know, outrigger, all these things. It's just the lifestyle and the coolness of it. And my wife, you know, as we decided to, to come back to Oklahoma after being gone 28 years, uh, was really concerned that I might not want to come back because <laughs> she knew how all that, how important that was to me. And, uh, and I think anybody listening, once you're a surfer, once you're a water person, you know, it is a solid part of what you base your life around. Um, of all things, coming back to Oklahoma, I stopped my business, Brent Allen, outside in California. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do when I got here. And but I'm I was com I'm comfortable with that because when you are used to creating businesses and then building something I was either going to build that here or I had, uh, I knew um, from years back, the executive director for uh, Riversport, Mike Kanop, 
and I just connected to them and, uh, and it just went from there fast. But the thing that I had already done as to do with the sustainability and having created a nonprofit back in California that all came together once I left and that I founded and, and sit on the board of directors is, uh, it was just kind of almost like your work is done here. It's time for you to do new things in this place that you grew up in and bring all that with me. And so that opened up a new world of water sports that I'd never been around. And uh, for for people like us that are just forever um, thirsty of loving to learn new things, I was in ground zero of tons of it. It's like, this is going to take me forever to learn how to row, to get in a sprint kayak and uh, learn to paddle, uh, whitewater kayaking, stand up paddle, all these things. And so it doesn't take me long to already know um, this is my new world that I uh, am going to learn about. And I, I am I am a forever student, which all of us are about water. <laughs> and before we get to where you are now, your current destination in the the hero's journey, the full arc. You were raised in Oklahoma. So right. tell us about, often I know for me, I was raised in Nevada and I hated Nevada, but there's, yeah. <laughs> there's that, there's that, that, that scent of sage in the rain that ever, every time I smell that, I think of home, I think about my heritage. Yeah. And, and since I've been away from Nevada for so long, the, the, the memory is, uh, come back with, uh, with a new, fresh interpretation. So tell me about how you appreciated Oklahoma as a child, how you moved to North Carolina for a variety of outdoor pursuits, and then California as an athlete and a business owner, you discovered the, the ocean, and then finally coming back to the, the deserts, the plains, the flatlands of Oklahoma with a fresh sense of creativity and purpose. Well, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's our journey. And as we get older, um, everything gets new again. And, you know, when you go full circle and stuff. And so growing up here, um, you know, you're, you're growing up in a culture that is based um, or a state based in the oil industry, based in a, uh, a completely unique part of the United States. And we're just seeing this come to relevance. And, and I'm just, you know, really... Um, on that next journey of, of connecting, understanding um, uh, the tribe that I'm connected to, which is the Cherokee Nation. It came from my, uh, my father's side, side of the family. And uh, my grandmother was born here before it was a state. It was Indian territory. And we go back all the way to 1840, um, which is uh, um, the reality of um, the Indian Removal Act that uh, pulled all of these beautiful people and uh, it's just genocide. I mean, there's no way around the, the reality of what took place and the more that I continue to learn and understand uh, how big of a tragedy all this is. But you don't understand that. I don't think I certainly didn't as a kid here, but I was an outdoor person always. I could not my mom would, you know, you'd have to have the whistle to get you in the house at the end of the day. It pretty much the opposite of cultural things we see now, all of us see with uh, younger people. But uh, um, uh, the beauty of everything 
I'm working on is uh, really being a catalyst of indigenous people. We have 39 sovereign nations in the state of Oklahoma, um, and they all have the greatest depth of wisdom um, about stewardship. I mean, you can't watch any program with Native Americans, First Americans, that any elder, any person, they say the same thing across all tribes. We were given a gift, this planet, and we are the caretakers of it. We are responsible to take care of it and uh, um, to live in harmony with it. And they were so advanced. And the more I study, the more I learn, the more I connect with my tribe and have mentors there, the more I'm really getting that. And so when you're someone that's that likes challenge, like doing things that when I was finishing college here at the University of Central Oklahoma, you know, my last thing I was doing was trying to figure out what am I going to do next? My grandfather, uh, one of my grandfathers was an attorney in Tulsa for his uh, life. And uh, and so I worked at a law firm throughout college. And so I took the LSAT, got accepted at the University of Oklahoma Law School and got accepted at the other university I applied Oklahoma City. But then uh, I found out that the Tulsa Police Department was actually the fifth most educated police department in the United States. And that was intriguing to me because I was very athletic and like, you know, it kind of brought everything together, law, dealing with people, communication skills, and uh, um, and that's kind of an eight thing. So I ended up going into the Tulsa Police Department. And uh, <laughs> after some things didn't work out on the political side of some things that happening, it actually just pushed me into the opportunity as having a degree in business administration and economics about uh, um, putting that to work and working in the, the business world and in the corporate world. And so I did just that. I had a friend that actually told me about uh, um, what I believe still is probably one of the best companies in the United States, Anderson Window Corporation. And they were ahead of their time about everything prior to Ford about assembly line stuff, they had profit sharing, they had stock ownership, they really did it right at the highest level. I was able to get a position with that and they, that's what put us in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, because of being from Oklahoma, my natural mannerisms and cultural understanding would fit in the Southeast and uh, very uh, a lot of similarities with that. And so um, after doing that for five years, being on the road every week, for five years and doing what it takes to manage a $10 million sales territory that there's just no way around how much you have to work <laughs> that I just found myself uh, wanting. I was like, we have all these material things that I believed that I was taught that if you have these things, you are successful. And uh, I don't know that I could have stepped away from it if I wouldn't have walked through all that and had success, had money, had material possessions, had a house, and we were ready to have kids. But me and my wife, me and Kelly, that, you know, we started dating when she was 16 and I was 17. And we've been together for 41 uh, years this December, been married for <laughs> um, 33. And that uh, um, we were both just the different people in the and about the necessity to travel and it was just who we are so every time we thought about kids we were like we just couldn't agree that was it so <laughs> we just accepted this we're gonna do us 
And uh, and so after uh, leaving the Anderson Window Corporation, it set me up financially to be able to really evaluate creating a business in the triathlon industry that was coming up. I started racing in triathlon back in 1994, and uh, my first race was in Kiowa Island, South Carolina. And I was just the whole thing of I'd never ridden road bikes. It was like learn how to ride a road bike. I'd never been in clipless pedals till a month prior to the race. And just all these things that really brought me to life about the fitness lifestyle. And triathlon is definitely that with uh, what you have to do. And so coming out of uh, Anderson, I just started to create and build my first business that was called Participate in Life, <laughs> multi-sport marketing and endurance sport coaching. And so uh, it all just tripped out into when people move like into where they fit, opportunity presents itself. And it's happened for my entire life. I ended up having helping a friend. Um, run the biggest bike shop in Charlotte, North Carolina. And for anybody in the bike industry and, and multi-sport and other things, the bike industry and bike shops are, are the hub of relationships with the industry, the reps, and it covers a lot of bases. And it allowed me to start building my equity and then creating that first company. And then like right now, uh, I ended up on a nationally syndicated radio show based in Charlotte called the John Boy and Billy Show. It's it's it was pure redneck humor based around NASCAR and just Southeast. <laughs> and uh, and they let me come in and talk about endurance sports. And I just constantly did new things. And they loved the whole content of doing that. Then they let me set up interviews. So I started setting up interviews with uh people that were the core of the sports i was doing so it was like ned Overin from specialized you know on uh, mountain biking and he was big into the exterior and, and scott timley to george hincapie with u.s postal that was living in charlotte and he's uh um, was in greenville but a lot of just key figures that they let me interview set up and set up on the radio show and then i'd come into the studio and We'd put them online and it became humorous. And so that's how I ended up getting into race announcing. People thought I was a radio personality. I had, I had no, it just happened. I just kind of, um, they thought, saw I was going to race in the Escape from Alcatraz in 1998 and wanted to bring me in to talk about it. They then said, we'd like to sponsor you. And uh, I've actually, even though I am not an elite athlete, I am a person that thrives in that environment. But I see the whole picture as business and other, and it uh, um, it allowed me to just flourish in what I loved. It was the lifestyle. It was people just like you that you get to connect with and associate. And it just raises your game on what's possible. And so... I ended up getting connected to um, uh, the biggest triathlon event management company on the West Coast based in Pacific Grove, California, on the Monterey Peninsula. And I helped them with some stuff that they had done out there in racing. And um, short order, after I'd created my business, they had offered me, they wanted me to come out and work for them. And I was like, I, I like, I'm starting my business. I love what I'm doing. And, but then they basically allowed me to create my own job 
description and, and work. And so that's how we moved to Carmel by the Sea California. And uh, and so I took on building five different aspects of their business. And it really put me at the highest level of the sport. I was the PR person. I was the media person. I was the pro liaison dealing with the best triathletes around the world and their agents and all the sponsors. And uh, it just took everything I was doing at a grassroots level and put me at the top of really being able to challenge myself and just intuitively do things at a higher level. And interestingly enough, when we decided, I decided that I was ready to kind of move away from some endurance sports and stand-up paddle was just emerging. <laughs> and so this is 2008, 2007. And it happened to be, you know, being at 45 minutes from Santa Cruz, California, the hub of thinkers and creators and doers and just tons of authentic, cool people that are doing it. Um, I was through friends got connected to surf tech and, and I was right at the bubble when that was blowing up of, uh, um, Laird and the first boards yep. and Randy French and his technology advancements and tough light and, and being able to design a business around the best shapers products that they have out there. And, uh, it, it was it just put me in a world I'd never been. And it was kind of mind blowing. Um, and so I just, uh, dove in, they let me do, um, everything I was race announcing and commentating at the events they sponsored. I was doing promotional work. I was testing, um, boards and it just allowed me to get rooted in the surf industry and stand up paddle. And that's what, uh, um, and in the, the stand up in particular, so like that that two thousand eight is a momentous time for a variety of things. It's certainly, when ocean sup paddling clicked, I know Laird Hamilton and Surf Tech were were certainly advancing the sport in a variety of movies like uh, Surfing Giants. But in two thousand eight is the the advent of YouTube. <laughs> so so now you have. People who are starting to post GoPro cameras came out around then. You have YouTube, you have people really showing what's possible. And so you becoming an ocean ambassador and working with these uh, brands, including surf tech and, and starboard. And I think uh, the, the, the buzz was, was real. And here's a very interesting thing also about 2008, even though ocean sup paddling was crazy big, growing, 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 and then reaching the Alpine lakes, the very first video of anyone running whitewater was in Charlotte, in North Carolina, in an urban whitewater park. So that's uh, Luke Hopkins running the, the comp channel in 2008. That's the very first video I've ever seen and I've looked, I've looked. So that that is the first one that uh, is available, at least to the, the internet of anyone running. Uh, and he was just, I don't know what it was. It could have been one of that, one of the surf tech boards that you were on, but... I'm glad you brought that up. And, you know, that's the beauty of having, you know, people that have been in the industry for a quadrant of time that we actually mm -hmm. all have lived and been part of 
benchmarks that changed everything. I remember going into the surf tech office and uh, um, when GoPro was just putting out there, I mean, I was able to, I was connecting with them when they had 11 people um, was the entire staff. Mm. And uh, they were out of Half Moon Bay. I mean, that's where he lived. Yep. And so the first models he was putting out there, they, Randy French, I remember showing me, or Duke Brower, that here's the one they brought down to us as, as just getting it out into the marketplace. And that, to this date, it revolutionized more things than we could have ever believed of putting cool content out into the world and it's always been an absolute tool of everything i've always done but uh you're so right because those things really kicked it to the next level and we were just in the, the middle of it in the middle of it and i love the 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 dual edge of the the naming of the GoPros the hero, so there's the element. Hey, look at me! I'm I'm doing rad things. I'm a narcissist, but it also gives people an opportunity to dream. Yes, and see places and do things that they wouldn't conceive of. Let's say I'm a, a kid being raised. In Oklahoma, yeah. I could see the ocean. Let's say I'm a, a kid raised on the ocean and seeing jungles or whatever it is. It's it, yeah. being able to open people's imagination. And really, I, I mentioned talking about the, the hero's arc, the individual journey, often starting in one place and returning to that one place. Uh, imaginations are a really important thing. And just like your backdrop where it's on the beach with the, the airstream, we, we have to imagine. And if we can imagine ourselves doing something, we can move. So the, the, the hero concept of that camera is really important. Let's, let's move back to, to Oklahoma and the river sports rapids. So you're an ocean guy raised in Oklahoma, returning to Oklahoma to be a part of concrete whitewater. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and this is really getting into to my world too. I learned river paddleboarding in Bend at a, at, in an area when they were starting to build the whitewater park there. And one of my first more successful videos feature Jerry Lopez hey. surfing this wave. And the, the comments that I had from it were often negative. Why would Jerry Lopez move from Hawaii to surf an ankle biter? And, you know, those, those, those perceptions. But over the years, since 2015, that whitewater feature, especially the wave in the whitewater uh, park in Bend, has really driven a lot of ocean people inland. I think it's fascinating. For the concept of you could have a minute-long pumpy surf that you just wait in the lineup and do it again. You get potentially... In a, in a day's period of time, a, an hour or two hours of pump surfing as opposed to spending a couple few hours in a lineup and maybe getting 10 seconds. So the, the, the inland whitewater features are amazing. Charlotte, now Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, there's another park being built in Tulsa. Of course, the, the River Sports Rapids in Oklahoma City. Whitewater parks inland, but most importantly, I'd like to talk to you about whitewater parks in the south uh, where you can include 
people of color, indigenous populations. Whitewater is a whitewash sport. So I think in having these big industrial whitewater centers in the South, where we have a lot of diversity, has a lot of potential for the future. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you're, you're so on target, Paul, with everything you just put out there. Um, I would have never believed in a million years, having grown up in Oklahoma, of what it was like when I left, and even the city of Oklahoma City, um, of what has emerged and what is the renaissance of things that have, have taken place since. And, you know, when you've lived in different parts of the country, you know, you have a sense of all these cultures and, and what's going on. I don't know that I was ever really conscientious about inclusion until being here back in Oklahoma City. And uh, um, the beauty of it was uh, um, that we had this environment that offered so many different things that are lifestyle sports that people could learn that are forever, you know, um, activities, whether it's learning how to whitewater kayak in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma at an Olympic level whitewater center is mind blowing. Uh, and it is allowing, like what you said, kids that might not have ever left the within the surroundings of where they live, a world. And I, you know, being at River Sport for three years, you know, I, I understood it at the highest level. This is a lifestyle sports mecca that can introduce more people to things that they never could have done, except if they went on vacation somewhere and tried it. But here, can actually start doing any of these things and the whole value of learning a sport or learning something new is that it is making our brains work at a high level we're challenged with knowing how to move through something and we all know water uh especially white water is so dynamic and you really have to um not having fear of water so things that i've actually come to understand is I started, uh, as I got more involved in our city of, of, of really understanding the inclusion and getting more people of color out there, they were already in momentum of, of creating these opportunities within, we'll say the black culture within um, Oklahoma City. And they're very close in proximity of where those areas are and uh, of getting kids in the kids camps they put on through the summer months, allow kids that have never seen the ocean, never been probably at a stream and, you know, water to be able to come out and learn to stand up paddle, learn to kayak, learn to be able to go whitewater rafting in Oklahoma City, to do ropes courses, to just have this be introduced to everything. And then, you know, then the, the world is wide open. Um, of of getting involved, but the big part I I know that's always a part of it is how do you move this forward, and what are the things that prohibit it? And one of the things as I talked to more people of uh, um, color um, was the truism about fear of water. You have different things that culturally were apparent. Was raised where they couldn't swim. So they tell their kids, don't get into the wall. I can't do anything to save you. 
And I had a real situation that I was like, this is my opportunity to change things. And uh, I met a gentleman um, that had moved here and he was a pastor of a church there on the east side. And his daughter rode in college. And as I got to know him, he said, Brent, it's like, I've always felt less than um, because I couldn't actually, if something happened with my daughter in water, I couldn't do anything. And that made me feel as a father uh, helpless. And I said, um, you know, from a background in walk in ocean swimming and in triathlon, all this and being a coach in that sport, I was like, if you're willing to have the courage, I'll teach you how to swim. And so here is Pastor Mac, 40 years old, um, bigger fellow. You know, it's like most people I worked with in swimming were athletes. You're just moving it to the next level. I never really taught something that would be what we would consider maybe kids learning to swim at a younger age. And so I really had to challenge myself, how am I going to take the steps to introduce him to water? And so I went to the University of Oklahoma Health and Science uh, Health Club near in the same area, and I met with the director. Um, and, uh, you know, there's not any pool that's going to let a random person come in and teach swimming, <laughs> someone swimming in their facility. It's liability. But after I told her the essence of what I was doing, and she was like, you know, are you charging for this? And I was like, no, I'm. this is just doing the right thing to move things forward. She understood it all. She, and she trusted me enough of not knowing me, but knew from things that we discussed that I was real. I was sincere and I met. And so they let me start working with them in the pool. And so step by step, piece by piece, we're still working on it. But we have erased his fear of water. That's gone. And Good. he is taking the steps to become that person. And he will be the next person that will influence other people that are older. Do it. Face it. People will take time and that are coaches that really understand everything, especially the psychological part of how to get you past it and move it forward. And, you know, for me, having worked with events like the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon, I put on training camps and clinics for that crazy body of water and had so many people out there. I watched it over and over of how that changed those people um, and their fear of water. And so getting past and, and setting things up, because anything in water sports, you just have to have a core that you can swim and be comfortable in water to then have all this forever opportunity to do things just beyond your comprehension that you never thought could be a part of your life. And River Sport, without a doubt, um, created that and offered that. And then now, having come back and really doing my due diligence as a professional in our industry of really uh, um, looking at what's happening, well, you know, as I got back, I found that there was a uh, another design of a whitewater park called Woka that was being built yeah. up in the Cherokee Nation area. And it was the first design ever in the state um, because River Sport was kind of the, the it um, about being introduced to that type of sport that they off the Illinois River, which is one of our scenic rivers in Oklahoma in that northeastern quadrant. You know, they constructed a site that basically um, went in through an 
created the inland channel, which created the water flow and then the dams on the side. And that just recently opened up. And uh, um, so to me, you know, having had an entire career in this industry, I was like, this is when we create new industry. We bring in new sports and we let these kids know you can have a career in doing these rad things beyond every level you could have imagined. And so you have to do the work. If you don't know how to swim, you gotta, we got to get you dialed in on being comfortable in the water. But then introducing whitewater kayaking, stand-up paddle, and it goes on and on and on. And that investment was huge. That was under um, taken up on the Sam Walton Foundation, the Grand River Dam Authority that is in charge of the waterways up in there and manages them and the Cherokee Nation and uh, a small city just on Arkansas Springs. And they had created a small park there that was kind of introductory. And then just on the border, you have Bentonville, Arkansas, that is a mountain biking metropolis and mm -hmm. uh, bike hub. So we're now creating a whole new region that was never there that is offering things that you would be at Moab, that you would be at in the Caroline Mountains, like Nanahilly Outdoor Center and places like this that um, were the front end of these things, you know, with Nanahilly being um, the core of going into the Atlanta Olympics and the waterways they used in that whole area that were uh, um, channeled and made and and now the next one that is under construction and these are mammoth projects paul they are so big and just going to the sites it's just like unbelievable is that they're constructing one in on the arkansas river in uh, tulsa next to a place called the gathering and this ga gathering was a local philanthropist that just decided he was going to invest his own money in creating a new atmosphere that is architecturally off the chart and brings people together outdoors and now uh, with sports and other things that are around it, but this other uh, venue. And so everything that used to be a place you would have to go travel um, to do whitewater cacking, stand up and all these other things are now being put in place throughout our country. The other thing that's happening that we all know is wave pools and the wave pool technology that is everything you could imagine. Placing a wave pool in a lake, you know, creating things, huge things indoors. And we're taking sports that have now hit the Olympics and we're creating venues that actually allow for anybody to actually start training and learning how to, like what you said with Jerry Lopez, I knew I met Jerry through me being at Surf Tech, but then I met Dave Chun and Meg um, through my relationship with Kealoa. And mm -hmm. then that connected me to Werner when Werner um, bought Kealoa. And so I was just on the phone with Meg um, the other day, and she was telling me how stoked Dave was about having his own little surf shop like Gary, you know, there in Ben, and that they're. I think they share the same facility. Uh, yeah, they, they just, <laughs> you know, are um, the Hawaiian essence of this. But I, as you brought that up earlier, I think all of us are very much the same. You live in a certain environment and it provides what it provides for whatever time. But you're always 
seeking um, new things and to remove yourself from, you know, an island culture. And, you know, he's been in Denver, it seems like a very, really long time. Yeah. And then um, coming to know Dave. Over 20 years. And so they, they realize they're the tip of the spear of the change makers. And, you know, when we met Paul, I didn't realize that one of the paddles that I used was one that you designed with Kealoa. And it was like, when I saw that paddle, I was like, I like that. And I like a bigger blade and I like all these things. And I thought it was just cool. And this is a weird looking <laughs> thing. Yeah. The, the, the big Eddie, the, the blue and green big Eddie paddle. That was my first signature paddle. Thank you, uh, Dave at Kealoa. I'm looking at the, the map of Arkansas, Missouri and Oklahoma right now. Uh, around Woka, the the Whitewater Park of Oklahoma and Arkansas. I, I drove through there on my way from Appalachia to the West Coast this year, and what, what I was I was I was told that I needed to go to the Bentonville area, mm-hmm. and not to oversimplify things, but the the Whitewater Park that they have there in Siloam Falls and now the, the Woke Park itself all on the Illinois River. Without simplifying it or belittling it, it's a Walmart, Whitewater Park. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it, it's the Walton family. And they're investing so much in that area. That's the headquarters of Walmart. I think they're looking for executives in Bentonville, where their headquarters, they're more that they want their 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 goal is to have more than ten percent of their population of employees, executives, bike commuting to work. They're building mountain bike trails. They're building these whitewater parks. And what I've experienced through my travels over the last ten years, I've been on over one hundred and sixty rivers, natural rivers. It's the whitewater parks themselves that really make strong paddlers. They're gyms. You do laps, you do multi miles, basically a lot of miles in the same feature every day that you, all of a sudden you have some of the best kayakers and some of the best whitewater paddleboarders in particular. I'm thinking of Cohen Atkins at the Charlotte Whitewater Center doing laps and laps and laps. And after a few years, they are the best when they go to real rivers, natural rivers, I should say. They're, they're unstoppable though. And so what I'm hoping with all these parks, especially in the South, there's more than 12 in Colorado. They're growing in the Pacific Northwest, but you're, you, the most parks in the U S seem to be outside of, if they're outside of Colorado, they're here in your neck of the woods in, in Oklahoma, Arkansas. I think it's just really amazing, really amazing. There's nothing here in uh, in Asheville, but what I what I would really like to 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 hope for in places like Great Falls, South Carolina, Columbia, Georgia, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, is that you have potential minority groups, First Nations people, African, Hispanic, they could get into these parks on a tube. <laughs> and looking at the Woka website, the, they lead with people going down into the tube. It gets them enthusiastic without a huge investment, but in a short period of time, become pretty expert. You don't get pretty expert quickly in the ocean. <laughs> you don't get pretty expert quickly in a natural moving river. So what I'm hoping that these parks, especially in the South, will encourage and give an opportunity for minority groups in particular 
the opportunities that maybe five years ago they wouldn't have had. All those are such important points and such wonderful observations when we look at changes of what's happening and uh, within these things. You know, COVID hit the pause button on the world. First time the world just kind of stopped. First time probably the world ever had time to themselves and their families. And then it just pushed people outdoors, the only healthy place you could be. And um, it, we just reset the clock. And for the first time, people started to understand again that the necessity and how important it is to be outdoors and be in the clean air, be in the air and exercise. But all these things are a transition of what I grew up here in Oklahoma of exercising meant you went to the gym, you played a standard basic sport. And what's getting introduced is the stoke. You know, the whole thing that these are um, Colorado sports, these are California sports, these are these certain areas, geography um, that we have in our country. But um, it is, we are in historical times of what we're seeing happen. And, uh, um, and everything about uh, providing these opportunities by sheer um, geography to different places um, is going to open the door to this, that we're going to, you know, one of the things of being Cherokee and working on this is like my clear vision before I came back was, uh, the health and wellness of everyone um, is high priority. I see the huge hospitals, all these things that are the end game part of health. Um, but the preemptive things that keep us from and living a lifestyle that's a healthy lifestyle that actually changes our cultures of having healthier people. Um, this is um, one that is so attractive and so inspiring that uh, I've really been working to connect with different indigenous athletes that are high level, where we're creating the next heroes, the next mentors, the next people kids are looking to that are the same as them. Um, and uh, no, I, I can be that. I can do this. And they have all these innate talents. When you just look at the DNA of indigenous people, I mean, everything they did was outdoor culture. Everything, the sports that they did were designed, like, for example, stickball. Stickball was used as a way to um, uh, stop war of, of the tribes. Instead of going to war about something they could agree on, they would have a stickball game and literally whoever won or whatever, then it was done. It was over and things moved forward. And so like the Olympics, like a lot of things we do, sport is a catalyst of bringing people together. It is allowing us to get out of ourselves and to see the best parts of human beings. And we're constantly challenging the limits of doing things that have never humans have never done in sport. And I've been, watching this for 27 of just knowing coming to know these people that are doing things that are that are have never been done and uh um and so the world is our oyster and it really is 
my goal was in, you know, the state of Oklahoma is with 39 tribes and all these kids. And you have long-term trauma, generational trauma that is carried forward and which creates the depression and mental illness. And really, this is everything um, about the mental illness that is permeating our society from what happened from COVID that we is 100% real. And all of us have a responsibility in some level to advance kids, to show them the way and put them in these environments and let them learn new sports, be excited about life. And that, you know, skate parks, whitewater parks, uh, wave pools, all of this is just changing that because we all know from personal experience, water is medicine. We are renewed every time we go do it and it keeps us in balance. And so the more we can push our industry of these opportunities and get these kids to realize they can do a job that is nothing they could have imagined to be a career opportunity. And it's wide open. You know, our industry, like any business industry, has every part of the equation, you know, PR, media, accounting, it's all like any business. And uh, I looked at, you know, the Cherokee Nation has allocated a like 42 million on projects that they are doing about the health and wellness of the tribe. And yesterday, Paul, I, you know, I never realized because I've never dealt with a sovereign nation about business and things. And uh, I was on a call yesterday with uh, um, the person in charge of the interior and sustainability for the tribe and the two top people about public health of the tribe. And the Cherokee Nation is the largest tribe in the United States. And uh, um, and so they think seven years ahead about any decision about its impact and what it will do. And so working in sustainability of taking care of what we have, and we are really in a corner where we have no choice about changing and we're seeing it. And thank goodness, because everything about creating sustainable architecture, about how things are built, things that come from sporting events are another career. They're a whole nother thing. And I've talked about it ever since I got back to Oklahoma. And, you know, I, I just recently, and I, I've done this at my career is the best thing you can do to show the way is go do it. So I've taken a job with a a sustainability consulting firm that's a startup um, that is built around sustainable um, events and sport as part of um, this. Um, And our events, you know, and things that are built around water and uh, and, um, like when I used to announce at the Big Sur International Marathon, I mean, you're talking about the only time they shut down PCH ever. for an event that allows people to be in a slice of heaven of such a dynamic uh, um, thing that people from around the world, you know, um, want to be there and want to do it. And they were the first place that I saw this being brought to the surface. And this was a long time ago about uh, getting certifications um, for the greening of big outdoor sporting events. And, uh, um, the name of the company I'm going to work with is called Rico Solutions. 
Enrico is also part of uh, um, uh, another subgroup that's about the certifications of uh, um, outdoor sports, of what you do to be certified at a certain level of this. But uh, I 100% believe this is something all of us have to take on at some level, inclusion, which I'm invested in, the sustainability and working on doing everything that our creative minds can think of to improving and taking care of what we have and making it better and implementing new things. And we have a, a forever amount of new economies that are going to blow up out of that, that are instrumental in humanity. And uh, one of the things that's happening right now is uh, for the first time ever, um, you have a tribe, one of the original tribes on the California coast um, that is going to be, um, that is being vetted. They've gone through the process to be the first national marine sanctuary that's south of the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, the Chumash Heritage Marine Sanctuary that is uh, being created. And so having the original people involved with all of these places that actually were their places that they had lived for time immortal, um, being involved directly with the stewardship and care of these places. So I am on the phone talking with more people that are the athletes, that are the young people that are, it's like Polynesian culture. You're dealing with the young kids. It would be the surfers in Hawaii and the next generation, um, of people understanding the responsibility um, to be the voice of what we do. Being the voice of what we do is certainly my employment. <laughs> uh, and it has been, I've, I've been in the outdoor industry for over 25 years. And I, I really love the fact that you and 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 people like you are, are are shifting back to a sustainable element to it, focused on inclusion and new opportunities. I always struggled with my paycheck in the sense that I'm selling expensive gear to people who may or may not be able to afford it. They're going to put that expensive gear in their rig and they're going to go ski. They're going to go climb. Now they're paddling. What I would like to do and what I'm hoping is happening in my evolution is give the view, just like the hero camera, give the view of an opportunity for people, regardless of their demographic, regardless of their gender, regardless of their race. How can I explore a new place in a new way? And, you know, my limited social media, the, the limited outreach for these niche sports are, is anybody hearing it other than the people who look like me? So you as the, the manager at River Sports, did you, I mean, you, you were talking about your experience with your pastor. Did you find people of color or First Nations peoples who were like, I want some of that. How am I going to do it? I have to learn to swim first. But were they jumping in kayaks? I'll be reaching out to the folks at uh, Montgomery, Alabama, who, like yourself, invited me to come and explore the area. I want to know, are, are the in the heart of the civil rights movement, Montgomery, Alabama, are African-American cultures interested in whitewater, in 
Great Falls, South Carolina, an impoverished area where they Duke Energy did a reclamation project now that has a whitewater park. Are are black people interested in paddling? Yes, they have to learn how to swim. Yes, they have to have the 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 gear. Did you find that there's hope in that? Oh, a hundred percent because that's who I am. Um, you know, I see all of us from the opportunities of what our life has become. And I understand what you say because I've lived the same life you have just in a different design, but it's the same. Mm-hmm. It's not money. You're never getting rich in the world of living the stoke, except for maybe 1%. <laughs> That's everything, every business. And, but it's who we are. We really authentically connect and it's, it's just our, who we are as deep as it goes. And, uh, and that's why knowing how all this has made me feel and all of the greatness and surfing in the ocean or free dot, all everything, um, I would be not doing my personal uh, best um, as an adult now at 58 years old if I am not bridging the gap to allow for a great, greater quadrant of people that have never been in any of this to give them uh, pipelines to get involved, that they're supported financially with what we say about the costs involved with doing these types of sports. And then you slowly start building um, business models and things around this. And once you create it, you're just like, these are the things that uh, are going to continue this next rotation that it becomes normalized by people of the Cherokee nation, by the Chickasaw nation, by, uh, um, the, um, black population, we can say in Oklahoma city, all this is kind of weird when I say it out loud, but now that I am, uh, I am, I am always in essence of understanding better by talking to people to really understand, um, where they're coming from, not what I think, where they're coming from, and how do we start taking steps to move it forward? And there's a lot of courageous people out there that when I tell them, you are going to be that person that inspires more people than you will ever know by the nature of just doing this. And as you take that on, people see that purpose in life. I, I want to be that person that changes things too. And then we are just building this holistic subculture of all of us that we are the change makers. We are the ones that uh, ins- aspire to inspire the world. And that means everybody. And that we have enough business sense and understanding of our industry and these things that we create uh the scenarios required for that to happen and so nothing on any scale is reinventing the wheel we're just uh tuning in to something that we can all see is core to uh the growth of things but really the growth of a healthier culture of people that realize there are so many things you can do that are so cool that uh um we want to introduce you to so you can experience what we have experienced and uh um that's my job and as a general statement that's what i really am doing about everything 
Recently, I was introduced to the Osage Nation because of Leonardo DiCaprio's recent uh, movie, uh, uh, Killers of the Flower oh, Moon. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with that nation, and I'm sure you're familiar with the, the story, uh, David Grant's 2017 book. They were known to be one of the wealthiest groups of people in the two th- in, in 1920s. Yep. I, I'm not sure where they are now with their, their financials, but could and as such a wealthy oil wealth nation, indigenous population, could they help fund projects? Can they help? Are you seeing members of their tribe involved in in lifestyle sports? Well, I you know I've become more familiar with this. It was actually even when I was in uh, Carmel by the Sea, California. I had people there that were writers and things. When I told them I was Cherokee um, and from Oklahoma and all this stuff, that it brought up to me when that book came out. It's like you got to read this book. It's like do you know? But there we are unearthing more facts of of history that have been purposely buried because they do not shine a positive light on uh, our culture and what has happened in this country. It is, and that's another thing, I, I take responsibility to become a better advocate and, our, and be able to articulate these things. I was able to meet the, the writer, David, and uh, at um, an event here in, in Edmond where I live, and Chief Anatubby with the Chickasaw Nation that I've never had the opportunity to meet. And uh, um, I think it's Chief Standing Bear that is with the Osage Nation. And we've actually been going up to um, Pawhusco, Oklahoma, and that's where the hub of uh, the Osage Nation is. And what's funny is that the historical part of this that's important for people to know is when all the tribes were being removed from their natural homelands, well, the Osage uh were two they were in kansas and basically they were trying to just push everybody into tiny indian territory that became oklahoma well the osage um uh said you know um we really of course nobody wanted to leave where they're at but they said here this is the spot we can put you and in what is oklahoma the framework of it and and um, and the Osage were, were they are all in, incredibly way advanced, more than anybody ever knows. But you dig into it, it's like they're the ones that designed democracy. They're the, the, everything that was this country is built on was what they had already created, and you can read it throughout um, everything that are core to how our country was built. But the Osage said, you know, if you push us down into Indian territory, part of the deal has got to be that we can just purchase the place that we're going to go live and it's ours. So we know you'll leave us alone. We own it. Don't bother us. Let us be. And it was a horrible place. (laughs) It was not anything beautiful. It was flat, hilly and nothing. Um, prairie land with a lots of oil underneath, (laughs) which no one knew. And so all of a sudden they get there, they purchase the land. It's theirs. And bam, oil industry. They're on top of, uh, the super fund of um, the oil industry blowing up. And then by watching that movie, reading that book, you see what's happened. And that's what happened there is what's been, what's happened throughout our time in this country of 
Native Americans being killed, the genocide, and um, anytime a treaty was created that they were not um, adhered to. And these are um, these are absolute legal documents with the United States of America. It is unbelievable to really these things that happen. And then by watching that, that film, you can see how deep greed and criminality mm-hmm. and the chasing mm-hmm. of wealth will do anything possible to get it. And that just so shows, it's suspect that shows it where people can see it. And one one tribe, one situation compared to the 500 plus tribes that we have throughout this country. And I would suspect the the distrust is still there. And so I would also believe that here these evangelicals of whitewater paddling are coming and saying, hey, you could be a part of this too. I could see why in 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 a, in a variety of aspects, they'd be like, you know, no, thank you. I don't need your Gore-Tex dry suits and your expensive PFDs and your expensive paddle boards or hard shell kayaks. Like, no, that's not our culture. Uh, so I would really like to be able to show these things in a way that is inclusive, that, that there are ways, really good ways to explore an area. And I have no connection with, with native tribes. So it's so good to, to hear your perspective on, on that element to it. And living now in the South Never thought I would be in the South. And I don't, I still don't, I, I don't call Appalachia the South. It's the Southeast. Yeah. But the, 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 the variety of, of groups that are here from the, the traditional Appalachian mountain man to the very sophisticated urbanite to the variety of people that are out here. It's like, oh, I feel like here's a new opportunity for growth in the sport. I'm still not seeing African American populations on Whitewater. Sometimes they'll be in a commercial trip for sure, but rarely, rarely, rarely do I see black people, let alone indigenous people. At Golly Fest this year in uh, in West Virginia, there was one kayaker in the entire group that I saw. And I was at the festival. I was at the fairgrounds. I was on the river for the, the variety of days. One man. One man who was black and he was a quality paddler and, and excited. So, you know, I shook his hand and talked to him a little bit and he just seemed stoked about being there. So one out of maybe a thousand people were non-white. I, uh, I'm glad you, you brought that segue up. And because, you know, when I say when I got back to Oklahoma, I dug in to really educating myself about the tribes here. I've been going to their cultural centers. I've been going to their locations to, to see and slowly take in each tribe that's here that has these places. And this is uh, the beauty of it all. The The majority of the tribes that were um, removed from their land in the Southeast on the Indian Removal Act that put them in Oklahoma, they were the tribes that lived on these rivers that lived on it. So they are a water culture that had their own watercraft, that it was a normal aspect of their culture. And they all have um, designs of how they built these things. 
And so to me, it was like when I got to River Sport, it's like we need to push that back up to the top. It's like in a layer, you know, when people, those started getting reintroduced, the original surfboard designs and for people to figure out how to really, how can you, and I've tried, believe me, it's a, um, but the watercraft that indigenous tribes had built and by using uh, straw and things that are in the marshes and all that, they all have absolute ways to revive that and bring it to the surface and create new competitions that are taking what was the, that was done in the past um, and bringing it to the present. So historically, it's depending on where the tribe was originally from. Uh, these are things that are uh, that are a part of it. We're just uh, at a new time to understand. You know, for me, it was like getting involved with outrigger racing in Monterey. And, you know, you're in pure Polynesian culture that's teaching the Aloha spirit and all of the things that you do from when you pick up an outrigger and you move it to the water to how you put it in the water and all the things that are uh, um, are part of respect, part of how you're teaching, part of how you're teaching the next generation with the uncles and the aunties. And I didn't realize that that was a common, that's a common term that's used in Indian country of <laughs> aunties and uncles, sign of respect for the people that are carrying the wisdom to teach them. And, uh, um, and so we have a lot of things to learn from what they already did that kind of created the things that we're on now as watercraft and what we do with it. Um, and, uh, um, we're just kind of creating this next circle of connect the dot. And so I think a lot of people, depending on where if tribal or otherwise, everybody can excel in what you're naturally gifted with of what you've got to give on your body and design. And the great thing about whitewater sports and water sports is um, it's, uh, it's, it's a level, it levels out the playing field a lot more than physically how fast you can run or ride a bike or whatever it's about being connected to water and how to read it and work with it and it's just a very essence of life in so many forms about uh water is life and uh the fluidity and you can just like bruce lee's quote be like water and uh um so we're we're at a revolutionary, evolutionary time to be those people and uh, to create these environments. And uh, we all know how to pull things together. But to me, the challenge that I put out to the entire industry is what are you doing? And if you're not doing anything, start, start now and uh, um, create something that's yours of how you want to change this. And everybody is responsible to be that, offer that to the world. On that, uh, Brent, we're going to be wrapping up. We've come full circle, uh, starting in Oklahoma, ending in Oklahoma, embracing our individual opportunities and bringing it back to a larger family, a larger heritage, a larger tribe. So thank you for the conversation. Thank you for your work in sustainability and getting people on the water. <laughs>
<laughs> What's uh? When's the next time you're going to be on water, and how's that going to look? Uh, well, it's actually uh, you know, I've been thinking about that. And because I'm like you, I'm always, always in the thought process of what's the next adventure, what's the next thing. And so probably going up to Woka, one of the things I'd like to do that I haven't is um, paddle the entirety of the Illinois River, um, stand up paddle. And uh, um, one of the things that I found once I came back to Oklahoma that is mammoth, but um, someone's actually done it, was... Uh, during the Trail of Tears for the Cherokee Nation, and I want people to understand, the Trail of Tears is not just the Cherokee Nation. It is massive amount of tribes that got removed and put somewhere else and then killed off other tribes to a much greater extent. And there was actually a water route that was part of the Trail of Tears, and you're in the heart of Cherokee Nation the original location in the Southeast. You're in the middle of it all. It's seven states right there. And uh, um, a gentleman kayaked uh, that water route that went from uh, um, Northeastern uh, Georgia, Alabama, and you can pull it up, the water route for the Trail of Tears, and paddled back to Tahlequah, Oklahoma, where the Cherokee Nation is. And so on a mammoth undertaking, and I'll put this out to the world because it's cool and it's real, um, the Cherokee Nation does an annual uh, Remember the Removal bike ride where they actually ride it on, and kids do this. They ride 900 plus miles of what the Trail of Tears route was. And, uh, and so I'm like, well, why don't we create a paddle that is um, taking the water route of uh, that of going from the Southeast back to Tahlequah and you introduce the industry to it. You get everybody involved in different watercraft doing different sections of it and the collaborative of putting that out there into the world. And I think that's a winner um, because all of us that love doing things out of bounds um, that are um, the natural instincts we have as adventurers and doers that's pretty cool. And I actually have presented that to the chief of the Cherokee nation about a year ago. Um, and he was like, I like that. And then I'm like, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that develops and yeah. Are you whitewater paddleboarding? You know, because of being here, Paul, and because of meeting you and getting more connected to all this, um, it 100% is something I'm going to work and start learning how to do. And that we have these different places you can do what you said. There's very few places in, in that world of uh, sport that you can, you have a training place it's like a, your own olympic training center to heighten your skills to the highest level and i knew that when i got to oklahoma city and saw this i was like from someone that had to sit on a trainer to do your your get your cycling in in charlotte when it was winter it enhances you to a level because you're in a certain amount of control um but can change you and so um these places will produce the next high-level paddlers and uh, um, and will create a whole other scope of people that will get involved in the sport that uh, um, will change the complexion of the colors that we see and get normalized. And I'm, I'm in it to win it with that for the rest of my days on Earth. So 
Wonderful, wonderful. Cheers to you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, thank you so much for being a part of the the Paul podcast, Brent. I'll, of course, link your your LinkedIn and your social medias to the, the footnotes to this. And... Yeah, cheers to you. Celebrate that uh, that that sense of broadening river sports. I bring it back to a, a heritage that uh, preceded us. Something bigger is always something that we should aspire for. Something bigger than ourselves. So be the hero in a larger community. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brent. 